I am feeling especially grateful this morning uh, for our musicians, our artists, those who lead us in, in worship music. Um, so I need you to appreciate them in your home, in your space. Would you join me in thanking them for using their gifts with us? I know that I have a special seat each week to sit in this, in this room and to be here with them live. And as I uh, worship alongside you in such a different, unique way, going on many months now, know that so many of us are praying that the translation is happening and that the Holy Spirit is translating um, what's happening in this physical space into your physical space and into your, in your spiritual space, most importantly. Before I jump into our new series in James, I have three quick housekeeping items for us at Lake Avenue Church. We are fully aware and very excited and very privileged that so many of you join us on Sundays who prior to the pandemic uh, were not a part of Lake Avenue Church. And this has become a regular rhythm for you. And it's quite possible that this is your main place of connecting with us, meaning you don't get the 500 newsletters and all the things and follow us on the social media. And so I just want to make sure, especially if you are not as uh, familiar with all the things going on at Lake Avenue, that I tell you about two opportunities that are this week. One begins this week and continues for a few weeks. One is on Saturday. And then I have another very personal update for you. One. Um, you can go to our website and just put the keyword bridge builder in and you can learn all about our new class that Pastor Bill and his wonderful wife Jeannie Mead are leading called Approaching a Divided Community Like Jesus. Uh, and you can read about that, but we really do believe this is, again, very uh, very good time for us to work on our own kind of emotional, spiritual health and using some of the uh, curriculum and from the book Emotionally Healthy Relationships, Bill and Jeannie are beginning that uh, on the 8th. And we'd love for you to join us and to be a part of that community and learning. And it would be a great way to even over uh, virtual ways to connect with some new people. We also want to invite you on next Saturday at one o'clock, October 11th, we are having a time just with a few of our pastors, and we're calling it an afternoon in the scriptures. Now, specifically, what scriptures are we going to be in? We're going to look at scriptures that the Bible speaks to around issues of reconciliation and racial reconciliation, recognizing that for so many of us, this is a bit of a, a blind spot in our discipleship. And, um, and so often, as we've talked about in the last couple of weeks, the culture seems to uh, take the lead on these conversations, but they're really uh, biblical and godly values of this church and of the Bible, and we just want to invite you to be in the scriptures with us next week, October 11th at one o'clock, and so be on the lookout for information for that. Now, very personally, I wake up early on Sundays, and although I got a very sleepy side hug, I have just a couple of perks with this job, and one of them is I can wish my Russell William Matisich a very happy birthday today. He turns nine years old today. He will be quick to tell you he's not nine until two o'clock in the afternoon. But Russell, I am excited uh, of who you are, who God is making you, and I can't wait to be home to play with you and to hang out with you. I love you very much, son. We are starting an eight-week series in the book of James, and if it's not obvious to you yet... I hope many of you have watched the Bible Project video I've encouraged you to write that gives you an overview of the book of James. But why James? Why James? 
Why right now and why eight weeks? Well, very quickly, let me tell you that the context of what was happening in the world and the context to which James was writing seems very familiar. In that time, there were a lot of ethical issues out there and people were struggling to understand what it looked like to follow Jesus. At that time, followers of Jesus were experiencing persecution. This was mostly a messianic Jewish community, so Jews who converted to Christianity and the Jewish culture around them was not very excited about that conversion. And so there was persecution that was happening. We read through James that there was a world with great, and a church with great economic disparity. There were rich and there were poor. There was frankly a lot of noise in the culture at large. A lot of noise and it was really hard to find voices of wisdom and truth. It was hard to find wise people. The people who had power, the people who were in charge, the people who were the ones leading, oftentimes weren't lined up with the ways of Jesus. And so James, the book of James and James's teaching comes at a time, at a time where there was a need for a very wise and a very tested pastor. And in short, uh, whether you see it exactly in those points, but I think we can all agree that that time is our context as well. And it is time for a wise and tested pastor and you're stuck with me, so we're going to allow James to be our guide this next eight weeks. I really like how Martha Moore Kish says in her commentary connecting James to today. She says, most important reason to read and write about James is that this often neglected text offers remarkably timely wisdom for our world today. This letter is not just a historical artifact, but scripture. Through these words, God not only spoke to a community long ago, but also continues to speak to us now. And that really is our prayer over the next eight weeks. We're calling the series Timely because I think it's incredibly timely what James will teach us, how it fits so well with the day in and day out of being alive in 2020. And we are going to allow and pray that the Holy Spirit would move in our community, our church, the way he moved in the communities have gone before us. So with that said, we're going to get started. If you have a copy of the scriptures and you would like to, would you please stand for the reading of God's word? We're going to be in James chapter 1, verses 2 to 8 this morning. Consider it pure joy, my brothers and sisters, whenever you face trials of many kinds, because you know that the testing of your faith produces perseverance. Let perseverance finish its work so that you may be mature and complete, not lacking anything. If any of you lacks wisdom, you should ask God, who gives generously to all without finding fault, and it will be given to you. But when you ask, you must believe and not doubt, because the one who doubts is like a wave of the sea, blown and tossed by the wind. That person should not expect to receive anything from the Lord. Such a person is double-minded and unstable in all they do. This is the word of the Lord, and you may be seated. Well, right out of the gate, we can see that James really uh, doesn't pull any punches here, does he? Pretty clear teaching. That's going to continue for the next eight weeks. My job isn't to reach very deeply to tell you what he's saying, because I believe that many of us 
are able to read and to see exactly what he is saying. The issue isn't hearing what he's saying. The issue is how do we live and actually believe the teaching of James. For this morning, there are four observations from the text that I want you to see. And I will be praying that the Holy Spirit is making connections in your life. First thing I want you to see is that trials and suffering are certain. In verse 2, consider it pure joy, my brothers and sisters, whenever you face trials of many kinds. Now, trials, suffering, hardships, this is the theme. So when we read the word trials in this morning, we can expand that to if suffering is a word you connect with more, more clearly or hardships is a word that you connect to more clearly, just let it connect. But what I want you to see is that right out of the gate, what we can learn is that suffering, trials are certain. See, there's one thing that we can all be certain of, and it's this, that life is hard. It doesn't matter your age, it doesn't matter your economic status, it doesn't matter your level of education, how stable or unstable your family of origin is, you can't get a degree that moves you away from the reality of suffering in this world. You cannot make a level of income that somehow voids you from the suffering in this world. I mean, read the headlines. What we can learn right away is that no one is exempt from trials. James writes, he doesn't write, if you face trials, consider it pure joy. What James writes very clearly is when you face trials, consider it pure joy. See, I believe there's someone listening right now who's considering what it means to follow Jesus. You're considering what it means to have faith in Jesus. And I think this is something so incredibly important for you to know, is that when you follow Jesus, it does not mean that somehow suffering and trials and hardships stop coming your way. Now, in the narratives that are out there about what it means to be a, a Christian or to go to church, so transactional, this lie, this narrative that says, when I do enough time with Jesus, somehow my life will be void of trials and suffering. That's just not the way it works. And so often people leave the faith in Jesus when hardship comes because they've somehow been sold a narrative that says this doesn't happen to a follower of Jesus. So when the truth comes of how difficult life is, that we live in a sinful world, that somehow so many people punch out and say, hey, not what I signed up for. That's not the God that I said I was following. James tells us very clearly, no one is exempt from trials, not even Christians. That's a confusing interpretation of this verse. There, there, it, when, when, when he says, consider it pure joy. So if trials are certain, no one's exempt. What does he mean by saying, consider it pure joy? What does that really mean? Now, let me be just super clear. I don't think it means enjoy when you have trials and suffering. And I don't think it means you can have no joy when you're facing trials and suffering. See, you and I live in a culture that's all or nothing. How does that work? 
How many of us plan to start eating better on Monday, and by 10 a.m. Monday, when you, when you make that mistake, okay, there goes this week, we'll start next week. It's all or nothing. We live in a world that is all or nothing, and so when the trial comes, when the difficulty comes, the tendency I think most for us is to, to say, until this trial is over, I cannot smile. I cannot find, I love Chuck's green light, red light. I can't find something to be grateful for because this is just so difficult. I don't think that's what he is saying. We do not need to throw a party when a trial comes, but we also do not need to surrender to the lie that when trials come, that we're unable to actually enjoy some of life. Considerate pure trials is a much more balanced approach to living. What it means is that if you learn how to have the right perspective, if you learn how to have hope for the bigger picture, that during times of trials and suffering, if, if we can pursue God and understand what God is doing through these seasons, then we can come out the other side different. We can come out the other side stronger. And we can come out the other side more wise. But I want you to hear the key word here. If. See, trials are certain. But coming out of the other side with this kind of maturity, this kind of wisdom that James is speaking about, that is not certain. So we can be certain that hardship is coming, but we cannot be certain that unless we choose to follow God, to lean into God, to lean into the truth of texts like this, we can't be certain that somehow we're going to come out stronger. It doesn't just happen naturally. Which leads us to the next three points, which are all predicated on the if. The first one is this, trials and suffering can mature us. They can. Because you know that the testing of your faith produces perseverance, let perseverance finish its work so that you may be mature and complete, not lacking anything. Let's break this verse down, these verses down. First, as Chuck has already kind of leaned into for us, endurance is the evidence of making it through the suffering and the trial. See, James is going to continually put a high value on endurance. And a way to understand endurance is patience. Patience, endurance, same word in many ways. So my question for you is where is the patience level in your life right now? And I'm not exempt from the question. I have to ask myself the same question, Jeff. Where is the patience level in my life right now? Where's the patience level for us in the church of Jesus Christ right now? See, when I, I think back to March when all of this began, I think we had great optimism that we would have enough patience and endurance to make it three weeks, maybe six, maybe eight. But the longer this has gone on, for so many of us, it's just so challenging to have patience and endurance. And I have to ask the question, if it's true that what God is doing through trials and through sufferings is making his people 
to have more endurance, to, to exude more patience in this world, how are we doing? And I believe very deeply that one of the ways God is building his people in this particular season is that he wants his church, he wants Lake Avenue Church, he wants the followers of Jesus in this world to build in endurance because I believe something's coming. And the distinctive of the people of God, the evidence of God in our life is that we can endure through difficulty. And I believe this is a moment where God is trying to build in us, his people, great endurance and patience, not just for this moment, but for what his plans are ahead. See, maturity in Jesus happens through trials and suffering. I mean, according to James, it's I, I'm having a hard time finding how we become more mature in Christ, how we build in endurance without trials and suffering. It's through trials and suffering that we begin to become mature, that we become the people who are patient and are marked by endurance. But let's be honest. We do everything we can to get rid of the trials and suffering. We don't allow them to finish their work. I mean, we want to get rid of them, and so we find techniques. We find books. We find podcasts. So many of us self-medicate. See, when the trial, when the suffering comes, it's such an uncomfortable feeling and such a hor horrible feeling that the human tendency is to blame it, to ignore it, to treat it, to not sit in it for a maturing process. I call it the donut response for me. Hard day? Difficult day? Not, not feeling settled? Donut will make it feel a little bit better. Emotionally eating. I don't know what it is for you. That's, a, that's not a benign reaction, but we have so much addiction in the world we live in that so many of us, the addictions that we have are connected to our inability to hold strong in the time of suffering and trial. And so whether it is alcohol or drugs or pornography, whatever the addictions are for us, in essence, what we're saying is, I want to get rid of all of this. And God's word says, no, it's through, through trials and suffering that I am making you mature. See, the process of through trials and sufferings is the process of literally what was not there before in your life, in your heart, in the life of our community. What wasn't present before is present as a result of God moving through and making us mature through these times of trials and sufferings. Which means that it's through times of suffering and trials where character that was not present before emerges. It's through trials and suffering where, uh, where character is developed. There are certain things that I am struggling to see how are built in our life without going through the difficulty. One of them is compassion. 
I, I think we learn compassion when we've gone through really hard times. Our ability to connect with someone who is going through a very difficult time or whose circumstance is overwhelming and, and our ability at a heart level and in a full level to connect with someone else in true compassion often comes because we can relate because we at some level have been there. I'm grateful that it's Russell's ninth birthday today, but I can't think of Russell's ninth birthday without thinking about the child we lost in between Henry and Russell. I was a youth pastor. We were up at Forest Hall. Many of my students were there. Nobody, we haven't told this story very often, but as I was sleeping in a cabin with a wonderful group of high school boys, Jenny and Henry were in a cabin with some other spouses and children. And on that last night of camp, there was a miscarriage. Now, up until that point, that was not our story. We had plenty of friends whose story that was. And I think we were fairly good friends as best we could to our friends who were going through the difficulty of having a child. But it wasn't until we went through it that I can sit very differently with people going through that kind of suffering. See, that's the maturity process. Hey, not one we want to choose. I do not think God allowed that or allows that so that we can become mature. It's through the brokenness of this world that we have a God of redemption, a God of reconciliation who takes all the messed up and broken things in this world and he builds something beautiful out of them. But see, we cannot build compassion, true compassion in our life without going through difficulty ourselves. I think there's other things that are built through trials and suffering. But compassion just seems so clear. In Romans 8, 18, I love the reflection. I consider that our present sufferings are not worth comparing with the glory that will be revealed in us. The difficulty of what we're going through is not isolated and alone and void of what God is doing in this world and what God is doing in our lives, which means the most tragic and horrible and difficult of circumstances that you are going through, that I go through, at the end of the day, Scripture says it's not even worth comparing to what God's going to build out of that. The glory that will be revealed in us through. Easier to say amen to, harder to live, if we're honest. See, growth, change, character, compassion, patience, endurance are made in the hard places of human suffering and through trials. And like I just said, God is in the business of redeeming and reconciling all things, all the hard things. Now, there's people who read these scriptures or even this glory that will be revealed one day. And we immediately go to heaven that, yeah, ultimately, I guess that's the hope for the follower of Jesus, that one day when we're in heaven, that's when everything will be fully made right. And that is so true and amen. But I have to tell you, brothers and sisters, I believe what James is writing about is not an ascent to eternal faith alone. It's a here and now and forever kind of faith, which means that we don't have to die to see what God is doing or to become, full, to become mature through all the trials and suffering. There's a here and now. And yes, it extends into eternity. That's one of my favorite definitions of eternal life. 
It's such a corrective, really, to what I grew up with, what I thought eternal life was, which was there's this life, and when this life is over, we start eternal life. See, I think eternal life is something that begins here and now and extends into eternity. You'll notice in the benediction I give you often, if you're familiar with it, I change it. I have changed it. Go in peace and live by faith. May the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, the love of God the Father, the fellowship and communion of the Holy Spirit used to say, be with you now and in life everlasting. And I say, be with you now in life everlasting. It begins now. We taste now and extends into eternity. So James is not just writing a, a letter that says, have some hope that one day when you're off this earth, it's all going to make sense. Now, I believe it's a here and now on earth as it is in heaven. See, this perspective is not easy. Our natural human response is to avoid pain, either to numb it, to blame someone for it, to ignore it. See, James knows this. So when he ties verse 4 to verse 5, he uses a word called that word lacking. So if the goal is that through trials and suffering, God is trying to mature us, to give us that great endurance, and then it says not lacking anything, he picks that lacking word right up in verse 5 when he says, if any of you lacks wisdom. So the third point is this. Trials and sufferings can increase our faith in God. If any of you lacks wisdom, you should ask God who gives generously to all without finding fault, and it will be given to you. So the question we have to ask ourselves is when we face difficult times, circumstances, suffering, trials, where and who do you turn to when you know you're lacking? You turn to a donut as well? You turn to your old bag of tricks, your addictions? So let's understand, because I have heard people use this verse out of context. And it is true, I believe, that when we go to God and ask for wisdom, he will give it to us. But this is not general wisdom. This is not a verse we can use when you're, you know, what, just, you know, it says in James, when you need wisdom, the context of this is through suffering and trials. And I think what James is writing is what we know, it's through times of trials and suffering where we're just super aware of what we're lacking and, and we can intellectually know that God is doing something and he's maturing us and he's in the process of building endurance. And that is a hard process. And what James is saying is that it's through trials and sufferings that you can become mature and you become mature by turning to God and you can actually increase your faith in Jesus. You can increase your intimacy with God through the times of suffering and trials. So this is a very specific context. When in times of trials and suffering, here's how you can connect with God. Ask him for help. See, I think the internet is a very scary thing in regards to who we turn to when we are lacking something. I mean, there's very practical, helpful things on the internet. I, I was able to see what was going wrong with my refrigerator because I went to YouTube, put the model in, explained the problem. Somebody walked me through it. It was wonderful, very practical. When it comes to issues of, of deep consequence... Of, 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 of internal suffering, of trials, of hardships that are hitting my life. The internet can be a little trickier there. 
See, back in the day, we, we would hear all this stuff all the time about the danger of self-help books. And I think there are plenty of things that are dangerous about some of those, the idea of self-helping yourself. But at least back then, you had to travel to a bookstore and pay some money and be pretty bought in to want to find that kind of help. And now, just sign on and Google what your feeling, thinking problem is, and you'll be inundated with practical advice that may or may not be connected to godly wisdom. I don't know how many people forward in your family an article they read off something nobody's ever heard of, but because this random article is out there, we should read it and see the truth in it. We've lost our discernment. And what what the Bible says and what James is saying is if you are lacking wisdom, if you are unable to see what God is doing in this time of suffering and trial, turn to God. Turn to God. Turning to God is the phrase I use all the time. It's intimacy with God. One of the many stories I've told you several times, I've told you all the the hardships of my life, whether it be my parents' divorce or my football injury, but there was a time where I flunked out of college and I was living at Forest Home. And it was a snowy winter And I was living, it's not that fun when nobody lives up there, but that was my existence. And a daily practice I had was I would walk from the cabin I lived in to the prayer chapel up there. And in the prayer chapel, there was a hymnal, a Bible, and some journals. And I look back at that three to four month season where I was in, flunked out of college in a very deep depression over a girl I thought I was going to marry, where I would sit in that prayer chapel and read hymns and sing them if I knew. Sorry, Dwayne, I don't know how to read music. I would journal. I would pace around this chapel and and sing songs and remember God, and I would cry out to God. And when my son went to Forest Home a few years ago, I said, look at the binders that have, you know, 1998 on them, buddy, and see if you can find some of Daddy's prayers. See, in my time of difficulty, up until then, I don't think I had any clue what what intimacy with God looked like. I think my testimony went something like, I really struggle to have a daily devotion. It's really hard for me to carve out the time or to to connect with God the way I connect with him at church. See, it was through the suffering, it was through the difficulty where intimacy with God really began to be formed. And if there was a camera in my office... What you would see most Sunday mornings and a couple times a week is the same scene that began in that prayer chapel that continues today. Me walking around, talking to God in circles, singing hymns, putting on music that's been meaningful to me. Because it's through the time of trial where I forged real intimacy with Jesus. And I believe that's the invitation that James is inviting So what does intimacy with Jesus look like for you right now? Could you echo or even say amen to what Paul says in Philippians? I want to know Christ. Yes, to know the power of his resurrection and listen and participation in his sufferings. Becoming like him in his death and so somehow attaining to the resurrection from the dead. See, all things that we face that are difficult can drive us to Jesus to say, I want to know Jesus. And it's Jesus who understands suffering more than anyone. 
And I'm invited to participate with Jesus in his sufferings, which brings perspective and gives opportunity for intimacy for each one of us. See, in Jesus, we have someone familiar with suffering who through his suffering brought hope, brought new life, brought forgiveness, brought salvation. Lake Avenue Church trials are certain, but they can mature us if we allow them to, if they can finish their work. And the way that work gets finished is when we draw close to God and increase our intimacy. See, the title of this sermon is called Certain But Not Certainly. See, what's certain are the trials, but it's certainly not true that somehow we're all going to allow the trials to build us into the people he's building us into. And because of this truth, I got to just talk briefly about this last point. Because I think it, it basically says this, you know, this fourth part, that trials and sufferings can sift out, can sift out those with genuine faith and those with shallow faith. See, when you ask, when you draw close to God, when you turn toward God, you must believe and not doubt. Because the one who doubts is like a wave of the sea, blown and tossed by the sea. That person should not expect to receive anything from the Lord. Such a person is double-minded and unstable in all I do. Hard words. Here's the point. I think what James is saying is that it's through trials where people sift out what real genuine faith in Jesus is versus what shallow, maybe cultural faith in Jesus is. Now, before I jump into the last point, I want to talk very clearly, especially to our, some of our students, who maybe you've grown up in church and you've got a list of doubts as long as the world. I want you to know, I don't think doubting is wrong. I don't think that's what James is saying. The Fuller Youth Institute, Kara Powell, who's a part of our church, in in this research project called Sticky Faith, what are the factors when a child or a student in high school loves Jesus, they go into college and we catch up with them three years later and they're still following Jesus, it looked at correlations to faith. And one of them was the the more free a student was to express their doubts to their family and to their church community, correlated to long term faith, not short term faith. So what is he saying? He's saying when you doubt, and he talks about the single-minded versus double-minded. So for a moment, let me, let me say that there's a quote that I think by Tennyson that is so helpful. When he says, there lives more faith in honest doubt, believe me, than in half the creeds. See, I think James, Tennyson is picking up on what James is saying. This idea of honest doubt, this idea of single-mindedness. See, honest doubt is single-minded. We can doubt in a way that is driving us to find truth. And we can doubt in a way that is meant to just distract. One of the things I used to say to high school students, and I will say to any of you right now, that is a great, when people are doubting, that is a great question. But do you want to know truth? Oftentimes, people ask questions where they're not quite interested in the truth. I think that's the double-mindedness. The double-mindedness of saying uh, this and then this and not really being driven to stay with it enough to find the truth. So I think there's honest doubt and convenient doubt. Convenient doubt 
is a doubt that is frankly a little bit arrogant. And in times of trials and suffering, here is how it is expressed. See, it's what we think ought to be doesn't happen, or what we think isn't fair, or what we think we are owed. When trials and sufferings encroach on what we think is right, then we can be very quick to just doubt and dismiss. It doesn't sit in the hard space of pursuing God, of turning to him for wisdom. It's not interested in finding truth. It's interested in withholding my personal truth. It's the opposite of humility. It's arrogance. See, it's easier to not, when it's easier to not want to stick with it to find the truth, when it's easier just to say, I can rely on myself or my own versions of truth or someone else's versions of truth, I believe questions of faith are very easy to come up with. We could come up with them all afternoon. But listening and learning is harder. So as we move ahead this week, I have some things for you to ponder. And the first one is this. How have you been matured through trials and suffering? If you're a parent or a grandparent, I know this might sound counterintuitive. Would you share with your kids this week how that's true for you? So often we want to protect our children from hearing about the hard things in our life. But if the Bible's true, and it's through these times of difficulty and trials and suffering, where real, genuine maturity and faith is cultivated, those are stories that matter. Those are testimonies. Those give perspective. Those come into the place and write songs like the ones we have sung today. This is my song in the desert. You've got to be more comfortable, Lake Avenue Church, sharing the stories of how you have been matured through the difficulty. That's vulnerability and honesty, and I believe that is what helps cultivate real faith. Maybe the lack of faith in this world isn't because we haven't proclaimed the salvation message of Jesus enough. We haven't given story and testimony to the power of the salvation message of Jesus through the difficulty of our life. Second thing I want you to think about is endurance as evidence. And I want to challenge each one of us to, to consider that God is doing something right now in us for a reason and for a season coming. If the world blows up in about four or five weeks, I would like to think the church of Jesus Christ will be ready. Ready to give hope ready to stand firm, ready to say, come to us for answers. Let us point you to Jesus. My concern, though, is if everything blows up in the next many weeks or the next season and church folk are just as frantic and angry and upset as everybody else, where's the distinctive community that God is building to demonstrate to the world who he is and where we put our hope? Lake Avenue Church, is it possible that God is building us into something for some reason. And finally, I think it's time to turn toward Jesus and turn down his competition. I want to invite you over the next eight weeks to make some commitments. I can't, I can't um, force these on you, but one of them is turn down social media. Turn it off if you need to. Make sure you're not in front of a, a news channel or a news website 
as a large portion of your day. Even this week I was driving, I was listening to some, some Christian radio. I don't find that always helpful either. It's time to turn some things down and turn up our intimacy with Jesus. And we have ways for you to do that. Communities for you to join. Devotions for you to reflect on. A community to be with on, on Saturday and on Thursdays. It's time for us to turn toward Jesus and turn down his competition. Lake Avenue Church, trials are certain. Trials can mature us. Trials can bring us closer to God. But trials can also sift out who the real genuine believers of God are and where genuine faith is. And I pray that there's no sifting a part of this community. See, all this is connected to what we're going to do now. We're going to have a time of communion. And I'll invite you to go and... Uh, gather some elements, whatever you have in your home. If all you have is uh, tortilla and Gatorade, that'll work. But we come to the communion table. We come to the communion table because we have a God who lived this message. See, when Jesus in Luke chapter 9, he was with his disciples and he says, don't tell this to anyone, but the son of man must suffer many things, must be rejected by the elders, chief priests, and the teachers of the law, and he must be killed. And on the third day, be raised to life. See, what Jesus says is, here's what my life's going to look like. Suffering, rejection, death, but resurrection. See, suffering, rejection, death don't get the final word in Jesus' life because of resurrection. And when we come to this communion table, we are remembering all four stages. Suffering, rejection, death, but resurrection. And Jesus says this about us. If you want to be my disciple, be ready for your life to look like my life. Which means, listen how certain this is. Suffering, rejection, death, resurrection. You must deny yourself, take up your cross and follow me. Forever wants to save their life will lose it. But whoever loses their life will save it. Please gather some communion elements. We will sing a song and then I will lead us in communion in a moment.